Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Jeremy, one of the pastors here. And again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. Also want to welcome those joining us online. So glad that you're here with us today. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles out and meet me in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. And on this Mother's Day, we're wrapping up a three-week series titled Under Attack. And if there's one area that the enemy is constantly attacking, it's families. And we see the enemy coming after marriages, after husbands, after wives, after children. And these three weeks, we've gone to God's word because we always do that to look at what, what does it mean to have a healthy that's strong in the Lord. And week one was all about a, a firm foundation. Last week was about putting on the, the armor of God. And today what we're talking about is prepared for attack because here's what I believe, is that you don't prepare for attack once you're in attack. You prepare for a battle and an attack beforehand. In other words, you make up your mind ahead of time before you're in that situation. Young people, if you're here today, or sing, single people of you here today, you don't make up your mind what you're gonna do with somebody else alone in the bedroom before you get there if you're not married. You make up your mind ahead of time that you're gonna run, that you're gonna flee. You don't make up your mind what you're gonna do substance-wise uh, when you get to a party. You, you make up your mind ahead of time because you wanna be prepared for an attack ahead of time, because if you're not prepared, if you haven't already made up your mind, you've lost the battle before it even starts. And so today, 1 Peter chapter 5 is where we're at, and boy, I just believe that God's going to use his word to encourage your heart in a special way today. So let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 5, now, now Peter here is addressing the the elders and uh, what it means to be an elder, what it means to respect uh, elders in the church. And then he says this in verse six of chapter five, First Peter, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion Seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, 
confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, right now, would you just take over our hearts and take over our minds? God, where there's walls that have been built up in our lives and in our hearts, would you tear those down? God, where we're drifting away from you, would you draw us back? God, where there's pride, would you just soften our hearts? And God, we thank you for this wonderful day of celebration as we celebrate our moms, but we also recognize that it's a difficult day for many as well. And so for the the ladies here that are struggling with infertility, those that have always wanted to be a mom, those that have lost a mom over the last recent years and dealing with heartache and pain, God, we wanna thank you for being a God who loves us and ministers to us and comforts us right where we're at. So God, right now, would you have your way in our lives today? Speak to us, change us. God, I pray that you would speak through me with passion, with courage, with boldness, with clarity, that we would leave here changed. To you be the glory, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Well, hey, if you have your message notes, go ahead and grab those out. We're gonna jump right in. There's a ton of content today, and what I want us to see is is four priorities before the enemy attacks. And really focusing not what we need to do, but the people that we need to be, knowing that the enemy, Satan, is coming after us, coming after our marriages, coming after our kids, our grandkids, our families. And so the first thing that Peter lets us know is that we need to be prepared for an attack by number one in your notes, by being humble. Be humble. You know, the the more I think about life, I believe that this is the greatest attribute, the greatest characteristic, the greatest necessity of any human being. Because without humility, we'll never recognize our need for Jesus. The opposite is pride. What does pride say? Pride says, God, I don't need you. God, I'm good on my own. God, I, I can get my way to to heaven myself, for humility recognizes who we are in the eyes of God, sinners in desperate need of a savior. And so where pride says, God, I don't need you, a humble person says, God, help me. God, would you help me? Would you save me from my sin? God, would you change me from the inside out? God, would you help me be the mom that you want me to be? Because I can't do it on my own. See, the more I, I live, I just realize that humility is is so necessary for a person, for a Christian, because when we're humble, we ask God for help. When we're humble, we, we pray. And I, I think this changes the way we talk in our families. One of the greatest things that I, I see different in my own life and in my family's life when we embrace this life of humility is our communication. Like when we communicate, it's, it's, it's from a heart that's Gentle. It's about a heart that's focused on God and focused on others and not what we think, what we want, what we know, what we believe. So when I communicate to my family, it's about, hey, how can I be a blessing to Kelly and, and how can I be a blessing to my kids? And so often it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Like you can turn to your spouse and say, I love you. <laughs> really? That was convincing. Right, or you can turn to your spouse and be like, I 
love. You, right? There's a difference. Last night I did that and I turned and I looked and Pastor Bob was staring right at me when I said that. It was so weird. It made me really uncomfortable, right? But it's not so much about what we say, it's, it's how we say it. And sometimes we just need to think before we open up our mouths. T-H-I-N-K. Is it T? Is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? You know, there's some things that are just better left unsaid. And then K, is it, is it kind? See, when we embrace this life of humility, it changes the way that we talk. Not only that, it changes the way we act. Why? Because we're constantly forgiving. Friends, when you choose to get married, you choose to a lifelong commitment of forgiveness. When you choose to, to have kids, especially when they're two, three, four, and teenagers, you are choosing to a lifelong commitment of forgiveness. Why? Because you realize how much Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And you can't just help but forgive your family. You can't help but forgive your spouse. Why? Because you're just walking in a humble heart. Now, now the struggle for us is daily to empty ourselves of us. See, I wonder how many times we ask God, God, would you fill me? And God says, yeah, I'm gonna fill you, but first you need to empty yourself of you because there's no room for me to, to enter your life. Man, if you're like me and you struggle with pride, I gotta do this on a, on a daily basis. I gotta continue to empty myself of me. Why? Because Jeremy just wants to keep creeping in there. It's more, it's what I want, what I think, how I feel. And daily I gotta say, God, it's not about me, it's about you and it's about others. You know, 1 Peter chapter Five, six says, humble yourselves. I love that because you can choose to humble yourself or God will humble you for you. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. God will lift you up. We don't need to lift ourselves up because God will, but notice the verse before in 1 Peter 5, verse five, this is what it says. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love that. Clothe yourselves with humility, all of you. It means it doesn't matter your age, your experience, if you're a grandchild, a grandparent, we are called to clothe ourselves in humility. Now, how do you know if you struggle with pride? Great question. I've got a pride test right here, all right? And these are just things, a lot of these are just things that I thought of that, that I struggle with myself that where I see just pride coming in and see how you're at. Uh, how do you know if you're prideful? Number one, you spend more talking, uh, time uh, talking to explain yourself than you do to listen to understand. You think more about yourself than you do others. You would rather be served than serve others. You feel superior to others. You compare yourself to others. You don't get excited or celebrate when others succeed. You give yourself credit. You know, sometimes as parents, we can fall into this trap, can't we? When our kids are, you know, doing really well in school and people are like, oh, you know, their kids are so smart. And it's like, well, you know, their dad's a doctor and he got, you know, really good grades in school. Or, you know, your, your, your kid's just such a great athlete. Well, you know, it's because Uncle Steve is a professional athlete and he did, you know. Sometimes don't you hear parents talking like that and you're just like, shut up, right? <laughs> just, just quit taking so much credit. But there's the other extreme too. 
For some of us, we don't take a ton of credit, but we're just constantly blaming ourselves. We blame and we blame and we blame and we experience guilt, 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 guilt. Neither of those are the plan of God. What does God want us to do? He wants us to not take credit, not take all the guilt and blame. He wants us to take responsibility for living a humble life because at the end, who's gonna control our kids? Who's in control? Who's sovereign? God is. And so what would it look like for us to take responsibility for our own humble hearts to be the parent that God wants us to be? How else do you know if you have struggled, struggled with pride, if you have a know-it-all attitude, if you're defensive, uh, if you're easily uh, offended, like when the pastor says, shut up, uh, when you're critical of others? You know, it's, it's interesting. I've had many of times, thousands, where I've apologized to people. So I just make a lot of mistakes, folks. Sorry I was wrong. Sorry I said that. Sorry I did that. Sorry I was late. Sorry I hurt you. Sometimes uh, we think, oh, I don't need to apologize because I did nothing wrong. Well, you hurt the person. So I think we need to maybe redefine what a victory is. Some of us are so concerned about winning an argument where we need to be more concerned about winning a person. It's like, great, you won the argument with your spouse, but you're sleeping on the couch. Was that really a victory? Here, here's what I've realized in the times where I've apologized and humbled myself. I've never regretted it once. I've never the next morning said, man, I wish I didn't apologize to my wife. I wish I didn't apologize to one of our staff. Here's what I've realized, and write this down if you're taking notes. Humility always wins. Humility always wins. You will never regret humbling yourself and being like Jesus who humbled himself by getting off the throne, coming to this earth, dying on the cross in our place for our sins. We will never regret humbling ourselves because humility always wins. I was on a run yesterday. Every once in a while, I like to run. And I'm a pretty fast runner. I run like three miles in an hour. It's like really, I guess if you do the math, that's what, three miles an hour. Okay, maybe it's not that fast. But I, I was just running and I was getting, you know, going and I'm not very flexible. And I was running and this foot hit, um, hit the ground, there's like a little lip, and this foot kept on going, and I literally did the splits, and I fell. And it was horrible, because I'm on Floyd Road, and I'm falling, but I, I can't get up, because I'm doing the splits, and you know what the first thing I do is? I look up to see, hey, is anybody else watching? Probably some people from Shelter Cove, right? It's usually how it works. And then the next thing I do is I act like I'm tying my shoe, right? You just kinda, you know, yeah, I'm just kinda doing that, you know, stretching out the legs. I slowly get back up. And I realized that I was so quick to see what other people thought, and I was so quick to pretend. What if in a humble heart moving forward, when it comes to our parenting, we weren't so quick to think about what other people thought because we have an audience of one? What if we started getting our cues from Jesus and it doesn't matter what the person down the street thinks, it doesn't matter what other people think, I just wanna honor Jesus. And if in that, what if we stop pretending? Like parents, you know, you don't, you don't need to have all the answers. You're gonna make mistakes. What if you walked in humility and when you made mistakes, you just apologize to your kids and you apologize to your spouse. Humility always wins and here's why. Humility will change people, it will change marriages, it will change families. It will change churches. I was in a first step last week and we were hanging out with a bunch of people that are uh, joining the family here at Shelter Cove. We were talking about expectations. I was talking about what you can expect from me and somebody said, hey, what can you expect from us? And I said, that's a great question. 
Um, I said one of the things that, that I hope happens is that there's a change in the coming months where when you come to Shelter Cove, you're thinking about, hey, what can this church do for me and what does it have for my kids and what, what, how can it bless me to what can I do for my church? How can I serve the church? How can I bless the church? See, that's the difference between a, a healthy marriage and an unhealthy marriage. An unhealthy marriage will say, hey, what, what, what will my spouse do for me? A healthy marriage will say, hey, what can I do for my spouse? First thing we see in this passage is be humble. The second thing that we see is be clear-headed. Be clear-headed. And this is what Peter says in verse seven. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then be sober-minded. I love that that, that word anxieties uh, in, the, in the Greek is really double-minded. In other words, we can't fully focus on Jesus because there's things in our life that we are worried about, fearful about, and anxious about. Sometimes for some of us, we're constantly thinking about the what ifs. Oh, what, what if I don't have a money? What if my kids make bad decisions? Uh, what if my friends upset with me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And that's where the enemy has us exactly where he wants us. Why? Because we're distracted. Boy, the enemy, first of all, wants to destroy you, but if he can't do that, he's gonna distract you and get you focused and thinking about things in life that, that maybe don't matter, that God already has control over. I love that. Cast all of your anxieties, your worries, your fears on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You know, my, uh, bless you, my wife um, has a couple things in her life that make her anxious. She, she doesn't like dealing with conflict and she doesn't like taking the kids to the doctor to get their blood drawn or, or get shots or anything like that. And so when it's time to get their blood drawn or shots, she'll always ask me to do it. It's like, hey, I wonder why my kids run every time I call their name, right? That's why. Um, and then uh, whenever there's conflict, she, she'll, she will ask me um, to, to deal with conflict. And um, so I'll get to call the, the store and, and AT&T overbills us or whatever. I get to, to have that because it makes her super uncomfortable. Why does she do that? Two reasons why. She trusts me and she knows how much I care about her. Like, why would you give your anxieties and your worries to the Lord? Why? Because you trust him. You trust that he is sovereign, he's in control, but also you know how much he cares about you. He cherishes you. He loves you so much. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin. That's how much he cares about you. We have to be people that are clear-minded. Otherwise, our worries get in the way. And we're like this guy at the sporting event. This would be the worst seat to have, right? Sitting right behind a pole. Can't see anything. He probably got a discount. Hopefully he did. But that's what we're like when we're, when we're worried. Um, when I was doing youth ministry several, several years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I would have parents that would come up to me and we'd talk and I'd say, hey, I wanna meet with you. I wanna let you know about your, you know, your son or your daughter. Hey, they're going through some challenges. We wanna partner as parents. And... Uh, your, your daughter's been just lying a lot. And, you know, she's really, you know, oh, and you get one of two responses. You get the, the, hey, thank you so much for telling me. But a lot of times what I experienced was, my child would never do that. It's like, really? 
They never lie. Is that why you name them Jesus? Like, what's, what's going on here, right? Um, they're not like Jesus, right? Just trust me with that. Um, but, but they just, are, they're lying, and I tried to help them, and they would defend, 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 instead of trying to figure out how to, to help their child with their struggles. I'd have parents that I'd sit down and say, hey, your 12-year-old son, he's been struggling with pornography. Well, I just don't think my kid could do that. And uh, I realized that as a parent, like I never wanted to get to a point where I defended my kids without really trying to understand the truth to help them. Some of us can be so fog-minded that we're not clear-headed where your, your kids are gonna lie. Your kids are gonna do things that are crazy. Your kids are gonna do things that are stupid. Why? Because they're kids. And I know that because I still do stuff that's crazy and stupid. So why wouldn't my kids do that, right? So what would it look like for us to, to avoid the fog and clear-headedness and know that our kids are sinners, but how can we help them in the midst of their temptation and in the midst of their sin? Be clear-headed. And then he says, be sober-minded. What is sober-minded? It's free from intoxication. You know what one of the, the greatest things that can intoxicate you? Yeah, besides drugs and alcohol, it's worry. Some of you have been living with an emotional buzz for years and you don't even realize it. Because worry, anxiety, and fear has consumed you. What would it look like for you today to say, I'm gonna cast all of those fears and anxieties upon Jesus because I know he cares and then our heads are clear and ready and prepared for battle because the enemy wants to distract us and sometimes it's through our kids, sometimes it's through other things that appear to be good in the moment but that's when he steps in. Thirdly, not only do we need to be encouraged, be clear-headed, but thirdly, we need to be threat-aware. We need to be threat aware. Imagine if Modesto had a zoo, just for a moment. It'd probably be a pretty ghetto zoo, right? <laughs> just like cats and dogs, that's it. No, but imagine if they had a zoo and there was, some, uh, there was a lion there and all of a sudden the lion escaped. And it's, it's, it's running all over the place. It's going down Pellendale. It was seen at the mall last and it was seen in Village One, Riverbank. What would happen? There'd be this major alert, right? There'd be helicopters everywhere. Police would be everywhere. Uh, moms would be like, uh, children come in the house. If they were angry with their husband, they're like, go ahead and go outside and look for them, right? <laughs> but there would, this be, there would be this major awareness of this threat. That's exactly what Peter's talking about here. We gotta be thread aware of somebody that's, that's coming after us like a lion, wanting not to lick us, wanting not to just trip us up, but wanting to destroy us. And he will do it by any means possible. This is what he says in verse eight. He says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. My wife and I went to Pier 39 a couple years ago and we went to where all these street people play the drums and they ask for five bucks and you have those guys that do the flips and all that kind of stuff. How many of you have been there and seen some of that? Good, three of you. Anyway, there's, there's a bunch of people that gather around and towards the end, they, they collect people's money and my wife had her purse and I'm like, watch your purse, like 
make sure it's close to you, zipped up, all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, all of a sudden towards the end, all these people come and people are watching and they leave and we end up going down the pier and it's time to get an ice cream or something like that. I'm like, hey, sweetie, do you mind buying me an ice cream? Um, and she's like, sure. So she goes into her purse to pull out her wallet. Her wallet was gone. Just like that, what happened was when we were gathering around to watch those street people, that's when the pickpockets come in. See, the enemy wants to distract you, and that's when he creeps in. That's why we have to be threat aware. You know, that's why when you, when you go to the beach and you look at lifeguards, what are lifeguards looking at? They're not necessarily just looking at the swimmers at the ocean. What are they looking at? They're looking for the threat. What's the biggest threat at a beach? It's something that most people cannot see from sand level. You have to be up. It's something called a riptide. In fact, we've got a picture of it right here. It's where this, there's this undercurrent, and what does it do? It pulls you out to the ocean, and you can fight against it all you want. You ain't gonna get through that riptide. It's subtle, but it's strong. The way to escape a riptide is to swim sideways. You've gotta get out of the riptide. And as moms and dads, as grandparents, when we're looking out for our kids, what do we have to be? We have to be threat aware. We have to see the things that our kids don't see. And how does this often work? I think it works in two different ways. Number one, it works through people. And number two, it works through media. Parents, know who your kids' friends are. Know who your kids' friends are. Know who they're hanging out with. In fact, I love this statement, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Your kids will become like the people they hang out with. That's why you wanna encourage them to have godly friends. That's why you wanna encourage them to come to the junior high, high school ministry here where they can hang out with some other God-fearing people. Know who your kids' friends are. Know their conversations. Know what they're talking about. Our kids, we will check their text messages. Is that a secret? No. We let them know ahead of time, hey, we're gonna go on your iPad, we're gonna go on your cell phone at any time, and we're gonna check out your conversations. My son, I know his password on his phone, I'll go on there from time to time and just make sure everything's appropriate. My wife's got my uh, code, my kids actually have my code as well, so I can go on my uh, phone at any time. But know who your kids friends are, what they're talking about, who they're talking to, but then also be aware of media. Media is destroying our kids, friends. Uh, it's amazing how young kids are getting addicted to pornography. Please, please do not be the parent that says my kid could never do that. It's pride. Your kids could because they're fallen human beings and often kids will look at pornography just out of curiosity, but then they get hooked. So as moms and dads, we need to protect them from that at a very young age. We need to put blocks on their phones, on their iPads, because these porn companies are coming after kids. Why? Because they want them to get addicted to porn at a young age. Know what they're, they're watching. But we have to be people that are threat aware. You know, one of the things I do at a restaurant is when my wife and I go and sit in a restaurant, usually I'll sit in the back corner and I will have my back um, so that I am facing the door. Why? I wanna see who comes into that restaurant. 
I want to be threat aware. Other, other times we'll just hide out in the corner, right? But uh, I, I want to know what's going on. Same with us. We need to know what our kids are doing. We need to know the threats before. And I'm not talking about being a helicopter, right? I'm not talking about being like weird about it. There's just some simple things that we need to do to be aware of the threats that are coming after our kids. And, you know, for, for some of us, you know, it's just little compromise after little compromise after little compromise after little compromise. Satan will not uh, tempt somebody to all of a sudden just go out and commit adultery. It's all these baby steps where we eventually find ourselves to get to a place where we never imagined. Uh, for others of us, Satan will just tempt us with complacency. Like some of us are saying, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, I'm living the ideal Christian life and I've got a, a great home, a great hard car. I, I got a great job. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah, but you're not doing anything right. Satan's got you right where he wants you. You go to church on the weekends and you give an offering and you even serve, but you're not ever sharing your faith. You're not, you're not a threat to, to the kingdom of, of, of Satan. You're, you're not going out and bringing people to church and serving people. You're just kind of going through the motions as a Christian. So what would it look like for us to be people that are not compromising, not complacent, but also living in community? You know when the enemy will come after you is when you're by yourself. That's when we're the weakest. We don't have anybody in our life that says, don't do that. Stop it. That's why life groups are so important. That's why community here is so important. He will come after us when we're alone. He will come after us when we're weak. You know, this is embarrassing to say, but I'm gonna say it. Um, after I got up from my fall, I mean, tying my shoe yesterday, um, on, on my run, I was exhausted at the end and I was walking really slow. Guess what I did again? I tripped. Again. Why? Because I was tired and I wasn't aware. That's when Satan is coming after you when you're tired and you're not aware. Be humble. Be clear-headed. Be threat aware. And then lastly, in your notes, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Why? Because you're not alone. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to be in community. This is one of the reasons why my wife and I just love our life group because we can share openly our struggles with just family and kids and we realize that we're not alone. So what it says in 1 Peter chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You are not alone. And that's the complete opposite of what Satan will want you to think. Oh, you're alone? Nobody else is struggling with that. You can't tell anybody about that. How can you call yourself a Christian? And after you have suffered for a little while, I love that, it's temporary. Our struggles in this life are temporary. The God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Friends, be encouraged, because as a mom, as a dad, as a single person, as a grandparent, as a child, in your challenges, in your temptations, in your struggles, you are not alone. Be humble, be clear-headed, be threat-aware, be encouraged. Some of you are saying, great four points, I'm none of those. 
I'm not there. You know, uh, neither am I. I'm not, but I want to be. Just this morning, I was praying, God, I want to be humble. In fact, I'm going to sit down with my kids, hopefully today, and just say, hey, what could I do to be a better dad? I, I want to be clear-headed. I, I want to be alert, aware, or threat-aware, and I want to be encouraged, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet. So, so in your notes, it says B. What have you added besides the B-E? Just C-O-M-E, become humble, become clear-headed, become threat-aware, become encouraged, because we're not there yet. You know, one of the things I love about Jesus is he doesn't see us for who we are. He sees us for who we can become. It, with his disciples, I mean, of all the, the guys that Jesus chose, one of the guys was Matthew, a tax collector, the worst of sinners, like tax collectors. He didn't see him for who he was. He saw him for who he could become. What if you began to see yourself that way? For some of you, you only see your mistakes, your failures, your flaws. What if you saw yourself the way Jesus sees you for who you can become? What if you saw your spouse that way? What if you saw your kids that way? Not for who they are. That little kid that just annoys you at times. It's like kids are a gift from the Lord. Yes, you're right, but sometimes I just want to return them, right? But just think that. Let me close with a verse and a, and a, a quick thought. In Nehemiah, he's building the wall, and there's enemies that are coming up and trying to, to keep them from building the wall. And this is what he says um, to his people as he leads them. He says, do not be afraid of them. In other words, the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Who is great and awesome? Not us, it's God. He says, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Today, God is calling us to fight, not against our family, but for our family. Some of you came in here today. And you're tired and you're hurting. And you're ready to quit. You're ready to just throw in the towel. And I'm done with my marriage. And you haven't said it, but you're thinking it. Done with my family. I'm done with myself. You just want to throw in the towel. What would it look like for you today, for God in his grace, who cares about you, who loves you, and says, hey, today I'm giving you another chance. What would it look like for you instead of throwing in the towel to wave the towel and say, God, for the first time today, I truly surrender my life, my heart. And would you make me into the person that you want me to be? Would you make me into the spouse you want me to be, the parent, the grandparent, the child of God that you want me to be? Because instead of throwing in the towel, I wanna wave the towel and I wanna live a life of surrender because here's what God's gonna do. He's gonna give you back the towel and he's gonna say, get down on your knee and for the rest of your life, what I want you to do is I want you to serve. I want you to wash the feet of your, your wife, your kids your family, your church. Jesus said, I came not 
to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus literally washed the feet of his disciples. What would it look like for you to say, you know what, moving forward, I'm gonna serve my spouse. I'm gonna serve my kids because my life will no longer be about what I want, how I feel, what I think. It's gonna be about Jesus and it's gonna be about others. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And we recognize today again that there is a battle before us. We thank you that you've already won the war and victory belongs to Jesus. But as we leave this place, we go in your strength. But we go in humility. which means we're gonna be asking you for help, which means we're gonna be doing battle on our knees, which means we're gonna be committing to serving our spouse and serving our kids and serving our grandkids and ultimately dying to ourselves. So God, today we leave here in your grace. God, though Satan wants us to focus on the past, we know that you want us to focus on the future because with Jesus, all things are new. We focus on who we can become and what our family can become. So God, would you encourage us today in the midst of our flaws, in the midst of our weakness, God, would you use us to be the men, to be the woman that you want us to be. And would you build strong families right here at Shelter Cove? In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.